This is Tim Benall of BenallofAmerica.com with the return of BOA Audio Season 4. Our spring break went a little longer than I expected. An extra week turned into uh, quite a break, and now we're already rolling into the summertime. I apologize for that, but it is great to be back here, folks. Hopefully you're all doing well and ready to rock and roll with some all-new BOA Audio episodes here in Season 4. We got a lot to talk about regarding the rest of the season and what's cooking in the BOA kitchen, but we're going to talk about all that at the end of the program because I know you want some fresh material from the BOA franchise. One quick mini news item before we roll into the preview of this week's interview. We are now on Twitter. I tried to avoid it as much as possible, but I finally succumbed and I'm on Twitter you can find us at twitter.com slash binall, B-I-N-N-A-L-L. Check out our tweets and find out what's going on with the program as it unfolds. Now, on to this week's edition of BOA Audio. We return from spring break with a historic of sorts interview. Our guest is Jason Offit. He's the author of the amazingly spooky book, Darkness Walks the Shadow People Among Us terrifying at times this book is as you'll hear me relate to jason i was all creeped out while i was reading it the historic part is that jason is actually the jason who wrote in during the andruffle miniseries and had sort of an ongoing dialogue with me throughout that three-part episode stretch of the program earlier this season at the bottom of his email signature i noticed that he had a book coming out via anomalous books who i'm good friends with and it is Darkness Walks, The Shadow People Among Us. So I got in touch with him, got him on the program, to discuss the world of the shadow people. Jason has done a commendable job of collecting and collating all these various shadow people stories and trying to organize this thing into some kind of treatise about what the shadow people are, perhaps, and what all sorts of different folks have to say about the shadow people. In this conversation, we're going to talk about just what people are reporting when they say they see the Shadow People and the explosion of the Shadow People phenomenon in the early 1990s. We're going to hear about all the various different kinds of Shadow People, ranging from the Hat Man to the Grim Reapers to the Shadow Animals and a whole host of other weird little Shadow Entities. We're going to hear from Jason about the explanations of the Native Americans the various religious institutions and psychics who all weigh in on what the shadow people are. He's got some truly chilling stories of shadow people encounters in the book, just tons and tons of them. I picked out a few of my favorites, some nuggets, and Jason recounts them here for the audience. You're going to be just blown away by how bizarre and really just downright chilling these stories are. We're going to find out about the connections between shadow people and electricity, 
and how some people end up stuck with repeated visits from the shadow people. It's a shadow people smorgasbord, suffice it to say. Talking shadow people, children and shadow people. It's just shadow people from all different angles. As I said, just an amazing look at these creatures of the night with Jason Offit, a researcher who has done an amazing job of chronicling this phenomenon. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Jason Offit, allow me to provide a little background information on him. Jason Offit is a writer and college journalism instructor. At various times in his career, he has been a newspaper editor, general assignment reporter, photographer, newspaper consultant, bartender, farmhand, and the mayor of a small Midwestern town. We'll be asking him about his mayorship a little bit later on in the interview. His books include Haunted Missouri, A Ghostly Guide to the Show Me State's Most Spirited Spots, and a collection of parenting humor entitled On Being Dad. He has been named Humor Writer of the Year multiple times by the Missouri Press Association, and he lives with his wife and children in Maryville, Missouri. His website is fromtheshadows.blogspot.com. Not so fast. There's some hyphens in there. Let me roll through that for you. From hyphen the hyphen shadows.blogspot.com or just go to Google, punch in Jason Offit from the shadows and it'll pull it up for you. And with that said, you've been waiting long enough, so let's get down to business here with the return of BOA Audio Season 4. This interview was recorded on May 4th, 2009. Jason Offit talking about Darkness Walks, the shadow people among us on BOA Audio Season 4. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Banal of America Audio. We have a very exciting and interesting guest here for us this week. He is the author of an amazing new book, Darkness Walks, The Shadow People Among Us, from Anomalist Books. It's all about shadow people. So many people have been talking about shadow people, but you rarely see any books on the subject, so it's great that someone has finally tackled the shadow people phenomenon and, and at least tried to put their hands around what this thing is and to, uh, you know, correlate some of the stuff together into uh, book form. He is Jason Offit, great guy, and uh, we've been corresponding via email for quite a while and, and sort of serendipitously came together here for this interview. So it's great to have you on the show finally, Jason. Welcome to the club here of BOA Audio Guests. Thank you very much. And, and, and on, on the build-up, you said exciting and interesting. If I'm only exciting or only interesting, I hope you don't hold that against me. I'll do my best, but you know how these listeners are. They'll, they'll write in on anything. <laughs> Let me throw out here the URLs and all that good stuff where people can find out how to get a hold of your stuff. First, of course, is the blog. It's sort of the hub of your shadow people research, and that's fromtheshadows.blogspot.com. And there's some hyphens in here, folks, so just don't go punching it in yet. It's from hyphen the hyphen shadows.blogspot.com. And to make things even more simple, just go to anomalistbooks.com. And that's where you can check out all the info on Darkness Walks and how to pick it up. All right, we take care of all that business. Now, Jason, uh, before we dive into the shadow people discussion, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you come from. I know this is not your first paranormal book, so you're, you're quite well-versed in the field, and you've got a very interesting background that I'm going to be asking you a little bit about before we dive into the shadow stuff. But, you know, give people a little thumbnail sketch on who Jason Offit is. Well, I was uh, I was that uh, that weird kid who in uh, elementary school, when you got the Scholastic Book Club uh, order form, uh, and you were ordering books on 
on on baseball and uh, you know biographies of Abraham Lincoln. I was the guy ordering books on Bigfoot and the Loch Ness monster. I've uh, been interested in the paranormal for a very very long time, and I grew up uh, grew up on a farm. Uh, uh, the last in many generations of farmers. I did not choose that path because wow, it's a, just a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, it, it, anyway, I've, I, I've just been been really interested in, in the paranormal since I was a kid. I had, I had a couple of strange things happen to me, and 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 that kind of spurred me on to to find you know to try and find as many answers as to what these things that scared the hell out of me were. Interesting. Okay. Now, before we we get into the shadows here, I did want to ask you about one little uh, sort of throwaway line here in your bio that really piqued my interest. You're a former mayor of a small Midwestern town. Yes. What is that all about? I've never met a mayor before or a former mayor. Well, and, and the beautiful thing about uh, about holding elected office is even if you're out of office, you still have that title. Yeah, so you're like Mayor Jason Offit. Right, for, for eternity. And, and, and I'm uh, gonna, going to go back and, uh, to school and get my doctorate, and I'm going to uh, get my uh, preacher certificate from the Internet somewhere for 25 bucks, so I can be the Reverend Dr. Mayor Offit for for the rest of my life. It'll make a great tombstone. <laughs> so uh, I ran for, uh, ran for mayor in, in my hometown. I had moved away and, and, and then moved back for a while. And there were some issues I thought needed to be addressed. Uh, uh, and I didn't really want to address them, but some people talked me into it. And I ended up being uh, mayor of a town of uh, just a little over 800 for, for two terms. Wow. And was probably the only mayor in America who would drive to uh, City Hall on Wednesday nights at 11 o'clock wearing an Iron Maiden t-shirt. <laughs> oh, man. That must have been exciting. That, that's pretty cool. That's just amazing. Uh, I'm, I'm blown away by that. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, uh, the, 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 biggest, the first biggest thing that I did as, as mayor was get uh, meetings changed from Mondays until uh, until. Thursdays because I didn't want to ever have to miss Monday Night Football. <laughs> there you go. Now uh, I presume here, based on from the reading of the book, is that you know this research into shadow people sort of was born out of your own shadow person experience. So I guess talk about that, and then you know sort of segue that into you know how you decided to end up going after the shadow people, if you will. Well, I was uh, oh gosh, probably eight, nine, ten years old in in that in that time frame, and I would, as, as I was going to going to bed, we as I mentioned before, I, I grew up on a farm, and we lived in the middle of nowhere, so we could leave our uh, windows open all the time, no blinds, no curtains, because we didn't we didn't have to worry about it, and at night, my room on a clear night was a nice uniform gray, and I could pick out uh, my bookshelf, desk. TV, things of that nature, but I would also see, not every night, but but almost, these six, seven-foot-tall, human-shaped, two-dimensional shadows walking through my room. They would start from one corner, they would walk uncomfortably close to my bed, and out into my hallway, and seeing these things for you know, a couple of years, my mom eventually said, Jason, you're, you know, you're nine years old now. Why are you still wet in the bed? Well, <laughs> I didn't want to get up. <laughs> didn't want to have to get up. The, and, and ever since, and I even called them to myself, shadow people. This was back in, in the mid seventies before I think the, the, the tour, the, the term got very popular before I'd ever heard about it. But, you know, I've had these things in the back of my head ever since, ever since then. And uh, sometime in, in the late 90s, it started to get to be 
a buzzword on on some talk shows and on, on the internet. And mm-hmm. when I started my from from the shadows blog, that of course was still a, a big a big part of me seeing those things. So I started to write stories about other people's encounters. And after a while, I'd collected you know c- a couple of hundred stories. And my wife said, you know, Jason, that could be a book. I'm just thanking my wife on that because it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the book is like jam-packed with stories from different people and their shadow people experiences, and it's a spooky book. I was sitting there reading it in my living room, and every chapter or so I'd have to sort of like put the book down and like peek around a little bit because I'd be like spooked out that someone was watching me or something. I don't know. It was kind of freaking me out a little bit. I don't know what it, what it was all about. Maybe just because of, the, of the, so many stories in there where you're just like – you know, is something creeping around behind me while I'm reading this story? And I don't know. It's, it's a it's a it's a creepy book. That's the best way I can put it. And I definitely recommend it to folks who want to want to get a little scare and find out more about shadow people. Well, my my wife is a uh, is a great copy editor. That's what she went to, went to college for, and she worked in the newspaper industry for a while. And and she um, edits columns that I write. She edited my first book, Haunted Missouri, and she was about a third through this book, and she said, Jason, I can't do it anymore. It's too creepy. I I, just, I can't read these stories. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, like I I just kept imagining something was behind the book, and like I I was like I'd have to put it down every few pages and be like, what is there anything moving around here? I'm all freaked out. So yeah, well, it, it's weird. I think one of the one of the reasons for that is there are so many different types of people who've experienced these things, from kids to you know people from Australia to, to, to South Africa and, and Europe. To you know, people you know living in the same state as you, people close by who've experienced these things. So I, I think that lends lends you know some to its creepiness because like I could be that person or I know that person. Yeah, or it's like this, now this is these have never happened to me. Now, I've never had a shadow experience. So then it's like you know as I'm reading the book, I'm like oh no now now I'm like do or maybe I'm conjuring these things up by. By reading the book or something, I don't know. But I don't know, Tim. Have you ever seen something out of the corner of your eye? You turned around and it's not there. Not to my recollection, no. no. So not yet. But now I'll maybe be a little more on the lookout for <laughs> for something weird like that. I've had very limited paranormal experiences, surprisingly. So well, and and so have I. And and I, I really like to keep it that way. I love the paranormal as long as it's happening to somebody else. <laughs> That's the perfect description. <laughs> All right. Now I guess. We should probably do one of those, you know, for those people who are living under a rock. Uh, I guess sort of give people an idea, a thumbnail description or look at what a shadow person is. I'm sure most people, I'd say like 90% of the people who are listening to this show, know what the whole shadow people phenomenon is. But there is that 10% of folks who are, who are just discovering this now or, or need a little refresher on what the shadow people are. So I guess let's bring them up to speed. Well, as for what they are, we're going to have have to get get to that <laughs> get to that in, in in different increments. The um, what they look like. Uh, the general description of a shadow person is is, is kind of what I I'd mentioned. What I saw uh, generally, they're larger or much smaller than the normal human. Their shape is a little bit disproportioned from a normal human. They are blacker than the the dark night that surrounds them. They mostly look two-dimensional. There have been a number of reports that I've gotten of three-dimensional shadow people, but a lot of them are two-dimensional. One paranormal investigator I talked with described hers this way. Uh, She saw one walking along a wall, 
And when she shined a light toward it, it was like a sticker that had peeled itself off of the wall. Wow. That that sort of sort of two dimensional two dimensional thing. Most of them uh, are kind of nondescript in whether they're wearing clothing or not. But there are some other subsets that definitely are. Um, there is a shadow person entity called the Hat Man. Yeah. Which uh, I've talked to a few people who have described him wearing like a bowler. Uh, but most of the people I've talked with, he's uh, have seen a person or a shadow person wearing a fedora. Yeah, that seems like the hot shadow person of the moment now. Is that just me, or I mean, you're you're you got your finger on the pulse of shadow people. What what do you think? Well, I'm not sure if, if right now I haven't heard of a lot more uh, reports of people seeing shadow people with you know with a fedora with the, the hat man. I just think there are more people being aware of it. Yeah, uh, there's been a lot more interest in it because it's so odd. I mean, why a fedora? Why not a cowboy hat? You know, yeah. why not a clown shoes or a big, big nose? I, I don't know. The fedora is just, just interesting. One of the more disturbing ones uh, that is clothed uh, is one wearing a monk's cowl, uh, a cloak like the Grim Reaper, mm-hmm. which, of course, just the, the you know the thought of that is is pretty pretty freaky. So those are a couple of variations on on their looks. The the last one is something that really freaks me out. And I'm glad I've never experienced this. Is a, a red-eyed shadow person. Yeah, yeah, that has a whole other element to it because we're talking about you know, I don't know, some kind of well color for starters. I mean, that's a whole different sort of thing, I guess. Right. Uh, the the red especially. Um, you know, I know we're going to get into this a little bit later, but the 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 red-eyed. I spoke with an an exorcist um, who. Uh, is an archbishop, and he said these things with red eyes, anytime you see an entity like that, automatically demonic. Of course, when when you're getting into uh, any any form of Christianity, all these things are, are demonic. But uh, but, th- but this guy specifically said that uh, that there, anything with red eyes is evil and get the hell away from it. <laughs> and corresponding with this, anyone seeing a red-eyed shadow person has reported feeling evil radiating from these entities. Talk a little bit about the explosion of shadow people in, in the consciousness, I guess you could say, of the esoteric world, because uh, you have a great introduction there from Brad Steiger, and he kind of talks about it a little bit, too. I mean, these things have been around, like you said, you saw them when you were a kid in the 70s, but it seems like all of a sudden, like, boom, they got huge uh, in the late 90s or something. Yeah, right. They they did. The, uh, the oldest shadow person encounter that I've gotten from somebody, I talked with a guy. Uh, I think actually he was from Ohio also, back in the late 1940s when he was about 10 years old, who saw these shadow people in his room. Wow. So it it's not just been around that long. There was a radio play on, on some mystery theater, it's, it's not on the tip of my tongue right now, where there was a play about these entities. And it was called, uh, it was the alternate title, it wasn't the, the initial title, but it was called The Shadow People. Uh, there were entities like this dis- discussed in uh, British literature in the late 1800s. So it, it, this has been around for a little bit longer than what a lot of people think. Yeah, people think this is like some kind of new thing that just came up through coast to coast or something like that, but that's not the case at all. Right, but that that's where it got its you know big boost is when uh, when they started talking about it on coast to coast. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of those paranormal things like uh, that, you know, one person sort of mentions it, and then all of a sudden, everybody else feels like it's okay to start telling their stories, and it just snowballs from there. Exactly. And it culminates in Darkness Walks, the shadow people among us. At the risk of getting too deep into this before we really 
you know, start to pick away at some of the other elements. Do you think, like, we're dealing with all different kinds of shadow people, but one might be from another dimension, while another one might be a ghost or something, and maybe that when they manifest themselves into our world, uh, even though they come from different origins, uh, you know, when they arrive here in our destination, they all sort of just come in through the same way. Well, yeah, it, exactly. There are so many different uh, explanations as to what these things are. They all kind of look the same. They all have basic characteristics. But there are different explanations for the, all sorts of different behaviors that these things have. So, yeah, abs absolutely. Do all baseball teams wear similar-looking uniforms? Yes, but we all still hate the Yankees, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. I kind of butchered that question, but yeah. you, you knew what I was talking Yeah, yeah, I know where you're coming from. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, yes, I think that there are a lot of different explanations for what shadow people are. I don't think shadow people are one thing. There are a number of different entities that look similar. Yeah, that seems to be the impression that I'm under, but like I said, uh, I have to go by what other people say, really. Now, uh, I know that in the book there aren't any photos or anything. What kind of proof do we have as far as that stuff goes? Now, I know in the paranormal world, proof is a relative term, so, I mean, I'm not looking for someone who captured one in a bottle or something like that, but you, you know what I mean. What, what kind of stuff have people produced as far as shadow people evidence? Uh <laughs> Evidence is, you know, pictures, yeah, <laughs> photographs. I mean, I, I've seen a couple of photographs. I've seen a video. I, I know how to use Photoshop. <laughs> I, I know how to, to to manipulate a photograph. I know how to make something look like something else. Could I give you a believable picture of Bigfoot? Probably so. So, I mean, really, any evidence, even though it might be right on the money, it might be a real picture of a shadow person. You can't, you can't trust it. Yeah. Most of the evidence that I, I have that is believable is talking to people who have actually experienced these things and knowing for a fact that I saw them myself. And I was a journalist for about 18 years, and I have a pretty good BS detector. And I can generally tell when, I, when, when somebody's yanking my chain. And, and all of the stories that I've included in this book, I, I'm personally positive that they were telling me the truth, that they did experience what they believe at least to be a shadow person. Okay. And now, we kind of were in the shadow people element when I was talking with the guys who made the Sleep Paralysis Supernatural Assault film uh, earlier this season, and the conversation sort of came up that, you know, these people are attacked by these entities, and, you know, I was like, uh, do they, are there any scratches and stuff like that? I sort of want to turn that question around to you now and see, you know, from what you hear from all these people who have had encounters with these shadow people, and in some cases, you know, violent encounters, uh, do we have any sort of evidence or proof or pictures or whatever of, of, you know, weird situations where scratches or bruises have emerged? No, no, we sure don't. I mean, it's not it's not like evidence from uh, from from the the case the the entity where there were scratches. Uh, are you familiar with that? Vaguely. Yeah. No, really, there generally are are not. Uh, and and about sleep paralysis, I I tackle that in the book also. One one of the things that I wanted to make sure to do is that I wasn't just writing a book of, oh, these people said that they had these experiences. Yeah, the stories are scary, but they don't actually, you know, contribute any to the body of knowledge, and I wanted wanted to do that. So I made sure I covered the psychological bases, uh, and one of those being sleep paralysis. And uh, most of these cases very well could be. Uh, the people who've experienced it have said said that it's not, but, you know, when you're, when you're sleeping and you've, you know, got these uh, 
you know, you're in a certain state, but you're kind of awake, but you're really not. You can imagine things going on around you. So, you know, like I said, a number of these cases very well could be. Yeah, when you have an experience like that, too, some people would welcome it being sleep paralysis, but then there are others, I think, that would, like, be disappointed or something so that they refuse to even uh, entertain the notion. Right, and, well, in, in a lot of the cases, and including including mine, I hadn't gone to sleep yet. I just turned off the light and laid down and pulled the covers up to my neck, and boom, there were these things in my room. Yeah. And there were also people who were sitting on the couch in the afternoon watching TV, and all of a sudden there was this black figure walking through their house. Yeah, exactly, yeah. In the book, there's a lot of stories that you know aren't sleep paralysis because they're, they're happening like – at all different times of day and stuff, and, and, you know, when people aren't even sleeping at all. So uh, that's just one element to it. One of the more intriguing explanations in the book uh, is offered by some of the Native Americans you talked to, because it was so far out of left field what they said the shadow people were that it just completely blew my mind. So I guess talk a little bit about that and, and, and clue people into what I'm talking about, because it was just so weird that I was like, I've never heard of this before in my life, and... Uh, I was skeptical, but then, you know, I kind of trust the Native Americans to know what they're talking about with, with this kind of stuff. Right. The the people I, sp- I spoke spoke with uh, were both fairly young men in, in their 20s, uh, and, and they had both told me that older uh, – both of the people I spoke with were Cherokee. They said the older people would not talk about this because they don't. They, they don't want anybody outside of you know, Native American culture to know about this. Uh, but but the young people are a little bit more loose of talking. But the explanation that they gave were uh, medicine men gone bad. One of the gentlemen I spoke with said I even he said I even hate to refer to them as medicine men because medicine is always used for good. And when medicine men use their talents, use their abilities, uh, use their knowledge for self gain, like. A woman they might might want to possess, or they want money, or something of that nature. They might want to take revenge on somebody. That turns them, excuse this term, to the dark side. He didn't use that. I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and when they start doing that, changes happen to them. They they start becoming evil, and they start turning into things non-human. You could even pass them in Walmart was an example the guy gave, and you wouldn't be able to tell them from any other normal human, but they've given up their right to become human. And they can appear to you as human-shaped shadows, not exactly in the same shape as a human, like I'd mentioned other shadow people were before, but just slightly different. And they are always bent upon upon evil, upon, upon doing badly. Yeah, it's it's strange. It's it's like I said, I'd never heard of that idea or, or that possibility before. You know, I always kind of assumed shadow people were not human in a way. But then, you know, later in the book, someone suggests maybe that these shadow people could be living people right now who are doing astral travel, which is something else that I never even considered. But I guess it's possible within the realm of this topic. Right. Yeah. It's and that's uh, wow. One of the creepiest ways to stalk a person: astral projection. Yeah. Yes. And uh yeah, yeah, that's that's one of the I almost said one of the more far out explanations, but we're talking about shadow people here. <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely one of the one of one of the possible explanations. Time travelers have been, is another explanation that uh I really couldn't find anybody to to comment on, although 
I mean, by anybody, I mean experts. One of, one of the things that, uh, reading the book, you, you know this, is I, I tried to find as many experts in as many different fields as I could find to explain what these things are. Yeah. I, I just didn't want to talk to people, you know, to, to psychics. <laughs> I wanted to talk to, to physicists and, and, and psychologists and, you know, biochemists and things of that, yeah. that nature. Yeah. And then one recurring element that I noticed throughout the book uh, when it comes to these shadow people is uh, some kind of connection with electricity. I felt like uh, either, you know, people would reach out and touch the shadow person and they would get like an electrical shock or, you know, later when there's a section there on the Ouija board and the girl, her face gets all distorted by whatever's, you know, working with the Ouija board there. Uh, you know, she says she felt like electricity like all over her face. So it seems like there may be some kind of connection here between the shadow people, wherever they're coming from, whatever they are, and electricity. There could be. There's. Uh, I've got an entire chapter on, on shadows that buzz. Mm -hmm. People hearing uh, an electric, electric type or, you know, a group of bees like buzzing noise when these when these entities are around. Yeah, there they're, they're very well could be. When people, a number of, not a number, there haven't been that many. I've got maybe four or five examples in the book when people have reached out to touch them. They're, you know, they get they get the needles and pins feeling in in their hand when when these entities are are there. But I've also had people who've told me that it felt just like an icy cold Weird. When, when they've touched touched a shadow person. Yeah, this is spooky stuff. I wouldn't want to run into one of these things, but. Uh... Now, I've had somebody before do. tell me the more uh, the more you talk about them, the more they uh, the more they show up. Jeez, <laughs> oh, don't say that. Well, what, what? Well, you're like the perfect guinea pig then for that theory because you wrote the book, you've talked to all these people. Have your shadow experiences picked up more? Have you had more experiences, you know, since the blog started and since you were doing the book, or or no change? Not since I was about ten years old. That was about the last time I saw one. Maybe they got bored with me. Yeah. Well, they probably figure you're like. You're like a double agent, you know? They're like, don't go showing up to that, that Offit guy, dude. You'll end up in the book. Well, or, yeah, we, we've already done, we've already had enough uh, enough influence on Offit. He'll get other people talking about us, and we'll go visit them. Yes, you're a shadow people enabler. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> on that train of thought, I did sort of get the impression, too, that uh, it seemed like once someone sees a shadow person, then all of a sudden they're, like, stuck with, these abilities or the visits or whatever it is that, that makes the shadow person visible to them. You know, like in the stories, it would be like someone, all of a sudden, one time they'd see a shadow person, the next thing you know, they'd see them like all the time. It, it really kind of depends on the case. Uh, there are a lot of cases that are just one time, boom, I saw this, scared the hell out of me, and I haven't seen it since. But other people, when they say, after they see it the first time, it's like they're shadow people magnets. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's they can tell it's the exact same shadow person. Other times uh, they see multiple shadow people uh, after them. That this kind of kind of goes into the uh, explanation as to what they are. And, and this type of behavior is similar to what a lot of ghost behavior I've heard is that ghosts will, uh, if you show any sort of attention to them, or if you if you remind them of somebody else that they knew when they were alive. They'll just follow you around because there's some attachment they feel toward you. This might be one of the cases where shadow people are ghosts. That's definitely a possibility. So, yes, uh, the people who are seeing them multiple times just might have a shadow person that is a ghost that recognizes them from somewhere. 
Or just thinks they've got a cute butt. I don't know. <laughs> now, I'm pretty sure there are some cases in the book where there are positive shadow people experiences, but I, it seemed like the vast majority were negative. But maybe you can sort of refresh my memory and enlighten me a little bit more on that. Are the shadow people cases, you know, most of the time negative? Uh, I'm not going to say most of the time. There, there are two major subsets. There are a num number of different ones, but, but I'll, I'll give these for right now. Ones that the people who witness them feel like they're in danger, that, that the shadow people mean harm against them. That's one group. Another group is, uh, I've labeled them benign shadows, because they don't even seem to pay attention to the people who witness them. Those, those are fortunately the kind that I saw when I was a kid. They didn't even act like they noticed me. So I'm not going to say they do good. They just don't do bad. Okay, so more like apathetic. Uh, right, or, or oblivious. Interesting. But none that sort of like pop in and then make somebody feel good? Uh, it's like no. a rarity. That's, that is. That, 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 that would be. I, I don't. Uh, it's been over a year since I wrote the book. So I can't remember any any specific cases, but I I really frankly don't think uh, don't think I, I have any. Okay. You know, if they were gonna if they were gonna appear as something that scares the crap out of somebody, why would they appear like that to do good? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like even if they were like had good intentions, they're just so horrifyingly frightening that that you can't really get past that. To, to be like, oh, wait a minute, he was going to tell me the wisdom of, all, of the ages. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> they, they could be. There could be some good shadow people out there. I mean, because your description was uh, a lot like how I feel about clowns. They scare the hell out of me, but, you know, they mean good. Yeah. I hope. I have my doubts. Most clowns. I'm not sure, though. The clown industry, it's, it's ripe with problems. <laughs> I, I haven't delved that far in the clown industry. Maybe I should do that. <laughs> oh, no, you don't want to. <laughs> now, one story uh, that I really enjoyed in the book, and I, I sort of said you yeah, heads up uh, in the email there before the show, and that's this guy in England who had a shadow people, a series of shadow people incidents uh, under, the, under the subtitle in the chapter was uh, Absorbed by Shadows. I guess uh, tell that story, and then we'll talk a little bit about that one, because that, that's one that stood out to me, really because it just seemed so strange that it sounded like like this, this was like a recurring event, not just for him, but for whoever lived there before, and it just, it just really was weird. I don't know. I can't put my finger on why it was so weird to me, but uh, I guess share that story with folks, and, and we'll talk a little bit about that. The, it happened to a guy named Adam Patterson in uh, the, the town he lived in or lives in. It's about 40 miles north of London, England. Uh, Leighton Buzzard, Leighton Bizarre. Frankly, I don't know how to pronounce it correctly. He uh, just got a new flat uh, and he moved in. Put uh, put the TV in, in the put the TV uh, on on one wall where uh, where the cable connection was and put put the couch in front of it. And everything was fine for a couple of months. He was really, you know, enjoying his flat. He was going through, which I think is fairly uh, a fairly key point to the story, or any Shadow People story, he was going through uh, bad emotional times in his life. But he really liked the flat. And as he was sitting there watching TV, he did this on, a, on an almost nightly basis, he started noticing these strange lights behind him. And he would get up and look for them in the kitchen area, which was behind him, and he couldn't find anything to explain it. So he started turning off the TV, and he'd see the lights. And instead of turning around and looking, because he knew they weren't there, he would crawl closer to the television 
and put his face close to the screen to see if he could see the reflection from where they are. Mm-hmm. And and he started, he, he could still see the lights, but he started seeing some weird shadows that started appearing. At first, they weren't human-shaped, but they, they were there, and when he turned around, they weren't there. And he kept doing this almost night after night. He'd be sitting on the couch, turn the TV off, walk uh, in front of the TV, kneel there, and watch. And the lights in the kitchen area were, were there uh, in the reflection, and the shadows started looking more human, and they started looking like they were sitting on the couch, like on either side of where he would have been sitting. And this went on for months, and he kept testing and kept testing and kept coming up with the same thing. And he finally said to himself, wow, if I keep doing this, I'm going to wear out the wear out the carpet. But he noticed when he moved in that the carpet between the couch and the TV was already slightly warm or worn, which sent some red flags up in his head. And then he, he eventually started looking in the kitchen because he thought his neighbor from the neighboring flat was maybe playing jokes on him. And he thought, you know, maybe if I was going to spy on somebody in my neighboring flat, I would have unscrewed the uh, the wall fixture for the electricity. And that's something else that had already been done when he moved in. Right. So he thought that was exceedingly strange that all these things that he wanted, he thought he should do or would have, would have happened had already been done, obviously, by the person who'd lived in the, in the apartment before him. Well, he kept experimenting with these, with these shadows, and eventually one night he noticed, as he was still sitting on the couch, the two shadows were on either side of him, and throughout the night he noticed watching them, one kept trying to nudge him into the other. Uh, he's not sure if they were, he, he says he, he feels like one was trying to make, make the other consume him. Ugh. Although he, he didn't feel any evil radiating off of them. He thought they were more curious than anything. Uh, he was really glad he saw what he saw <laughs> so he could stop sitting on the couch because <laughs> he didn't, didn't know what was going to happen next. Yeah. It's just so weird. You, you can kind of like. The thing that stood out to me was just that that someone had been doing all this before he came along, like the same things he had been doing. Right. It, it seemed to me more. It seemed to me a lot like a Twilight Zone episode might have played out. Yeah. You know, the main character realizing, "Oh crap, this has already happened. I'm doing it. I'm living this same thing again. What's going to happen to me? What happened to the guy before me?" Exactly. Yeah. yeah very freaky story. Uh, definitely. Just uh, one of my favorites in the book. Just so weird. Yeah, Twilight Zone's the perfect way to describe it because it was just like the twist there of, the you know, I'm going to wear down the carpet, but it's already been worn down. Exactly. It was like, oh, Jesus, (laughs) this is horrifying. Um, (laughs) And then uh, the the other story I want to ask you about was Eric London and how his, his, he thinks his wife was, possessed by the shadow people well his his ex-wife now which you know i don't know if that's just a a handy thing to say uh when when you're going into the divorce proceedings that you know the shadow person engulfed my wife and she hasn't been the same since or or if there's some legitimacy to that but it it does sort of tie into the whole demonic element to these things right well the 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 part about the divorce i I love his 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 quote i mean i shouldn't because it's you know, fairly sad and freaky, but he he said we we ended up getting divorced due to her buying an insurance policy and trying to kill me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think that might do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought this was was one of the more freaky ones in in the book because of the fact that 
a possession was involved. Uh, th- this guy is a, is a gunsmith. His name is uh, Eric London in uh, in a small town in Georgia, about a little over 2,000 people. And he and his wife were asleep one night, and he was woken up from by her screaming that there's somebody in the room. He yelled at her to turn on the lights as he jumped up to go grab his handgun. And when she popped the light on, there was nobody there. And all of a sudden, as he started to search the room, her personality changed. She started, you know, talking in kind of a smart-ass voice and um, was asking what he was doing uh, when, you know, he realized she knew damn well what he was doing. Yeah. She's the one who'd seen the thing. Uh, he went and looked in, in the closet, and she said, he's not in there. And, which, yeah, it's pretty creepy enough. Uh, but after that night, this woman's personality changed. Uh, again, the insurance policy, the killing, <laughs> it's into murder. Uh, her telling him that she never loved him, she didn't love him now, she never would love him. Uh, finally, she moved out. And one night, she came over, he says they came over. And as they were talking, you know, Eric said that, you know, I never want you in this house again. He said a demonic face pulled away from hers, glared at him, and then was sucked back into her body. Oh. And they got up and left. Uh, and although they haven't been, been back in the house, that the last time I, I talked to this guy, she's called a couple of times, and just from her demeanor, he knows that, that something is still with her. And, and he is convinced that they're that shadow people are demons. Yeah, it's a freaky story. It's so strange, too, in the book that just everybody seems to have a different opinion on what these are. And each person seems to speak with a level of certainty that makes you even more confused, I guess, as to what these things really are. Do you know what I mean? Well, right, and that, that's why I tried to, to tackle it from as many angles as I can because I think that there are so many different types of beings that fit this description. And and there, I, I've got so many so many stories and so many experts in different fields telling different things that kind of make sense when you think about it from a certain angle, from a demonic angle or a ghost angle or the astral projection angle. Yeah. It's hard to get your head wrapped around it because you read one person's take and you're like, okay, that makes sense. And then, then the next person's like, I know for a fact they're demons. And you're like, wait a minute, what? But uh, I, I have no clue. Now, have you come to sort of any conclusion, really, or are you still – you kind of alluded to it there that we're dealing with multiple different things at once here. Right. I, I think all of the above. There there are, are some explanations I'm, I'm kind of dubious dubious about, but when you're dealing with the paranormal, you know, what's you – know, <laughs> well, what's the limit the limit of an explanation? Yeah, you have to keep your mind open to all of them, although, you know, like, like I'm kind of the same as you. I'm, I'm a little skeptical of, like, the aliens idea that these are aliens, but then there are some stories that you hear that they do kind of sound like aliens, so who knows? Right. I mean, the, and, and well, with with aliens, I mean, the, the, the whole um, – okay, the, the greys, some of their behavior has to do uh, – I guess a lot of their behavior has to do with trickery, getting you to believe there, there's something else in a lot of cases. There have been cases, uh, a number of reports of people waking up who later under hypnosis will will report this alien encounter, but they wake up having dreamt of cute fuzzy bunnies. Yeah. For for example, well, I mean, that that fits kind of in the Christian perspective that, uh, hey, demons do that. They're tricksters too. So uh, every 
everything everything kind of gets 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 muddled. Yeah, the trickster element is is tough because it it just applies to so many different things in the paranormal realm that it's sort of just an umbrella thing that we don't really even know what what exactly the trickster is. You know what I mean? Oh, exactly. Yeah. Is it a gin? Yeah. Is it a ghost? Is it some kind of interdimensional thing? It's just a trickster. Yeah. Well, and that's that's <laughs> something else that that I explored. Is it our shadow people, gin? According to an expert on Islam I talked to, they kind of fit the bill. There's a lot of talk that this that there's some kind of increase, uh, a quickening, if you will. Do you think the shadow people are, are a part of that? That that the there's an increase in shadow people sightings over over the course of uh, the last few years, or is it just that the awareness is picking up? Personally, I think it's just because of the awareness is picking up. Um, one of the interesting things that I found talking with an English professor. Uh, I, I was speaking with him about the, the paranormal in literature, and it, whenever a uh, country is going through certain types of turmoil, the paranormal appears less in literature. Uh, he referred to a lot of classic British literature, and when the when the uh, empire was collapsing, they didn't really talk write write a lot about ghosts and, and witches and things of that nature because they had more material things to worry about. But when things are going fine, when everybody's all fat and happy, let's bring out the ghosts and uh, and the spooky things. Yeah. Uh, where does that put us now? <laughs> things aren't going so well, and hell, shadow people are everywhere. Yeah. Well, you wonder if it's there's a lot of talk of some kind of you know dimensional shift or something coming in the future with the 2012 and all that stuff and you know I'm sure you know there's a very good chance a lot of that could be hokum and and wishful thinking but then you know you sort of see this this rise and and weirdest stuff going on and then maybe maybe there's something to it maybe what, there's a bleed over of dimensions or something with with the 2012 I I look at it at the change of every every century uh, people are are it's the end of the world. Yeah, <laughs> it's a changeover, and and you know what we have in in 1999, we had oh in 2000 hits we're gonna have Y2K, yeah none of these things ever happen. When when 2012 December 22nd I think it is, I'm gonna be sitting around with a beer watching TV and uh, confident nothing nothing's gonna happen. But but as for people's uh, people's paranoia, uh, it very well could have something to do about it. That's yeah, what, that's true. I never thought of that. That 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 just the fear of the unknown and what may become could be opening the door to these things too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and the um the preying on on people's fears uh is something that is very uh, prevalent in a lot of shadow people encounters. A lot of people have re- reported that these things feel like they're feeding off of fear. Yeah. That that's why they showed up. They get their energy off of this. I I interviewed a guy named Jack Alice who's an expert on uh the writings of uh Carlos uh, Castaneda, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, who, who explored this. Uh, he called them mud shadows. Their descriptions are just like shadow people and that they've been around as long as man has, just hanging around and, and feeding off the weak people who are afraid of them. So, yeah, the more the more emotional activity going on, I, I, could, see, I could see the increase. In the book here, you have a good chapter here on uh, different – Ouija board stories and stuff like that, and people conjuring shadow people. That seems to be something that that does happen from time to time. Uh, yes. I, the, oh my gosh. Yeah. The, the Ouija board is something that uh, I played with once for uh, not not very uh, honorable reasons, but uh, we don't need to get into that right oh now. Oh boy. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, 
It had to do with high school and a girl I liked, but anyway, that's beside the point. Okay. Um, even though there there are a few few people I've spoken with who've had positive experiences, most of the people I've interviewed who have really really tried to conjure something with with a Ouija board or automatic writing or anything of that nature have have had bad experiences. Bad experiences, as in uh, the the board being um, a doorbell, <laughs> basically saying, "Hi." We're here. Anything that hears this, please come on through and, and visit us. In, in a number of cases in the book, shadow people have appeared. Uh, one fairly fairly frightening one was uh, a group of college girls uh, at uh, Southeast Missouri University in, uh, in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, uh, which is where Rush Limbaugh's from, by the way. Oh boy! Which is also uh, the home of a. Uh, 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 an alleged UFO crash, government cover-up in 1941. Yeah, I do. I do remember the Cape Girardeau story. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think there's a correlation between Limbaugh and the UFO crash? I don't know. We I, can read something into it. I've never. <laughs> I never considered that. <laughs> but anyway, that that's when they went went to college, and they were they got out of Ouija board and were playing with it. And um, one of the uh, one of the entities that they contacted was a girl. I don't remember her, what she said her name was at the time, but she died in the 1800s in a uh, in a horse carriage accident. Her name was Sarah. Sarah. Yep. Uh, one I of the, remember this story well from the book. Right. One of the uh, girls asked, "What what do you look like?" And she said she looked like another one of the girls in the group, but a little different. And when asked to show what she looked like. This girl's hair color changed, her eye color changed, and her facial features changed just a little bit. And the girl who felt this felt sort of, as you mentioned before, an electric-type shock that had gone through her, the needles and pins sort of thing, um, which was freaky enough. But as they continued to talk to the board, uh, another entity started talking and started to spell his name that his name was Satan before they dropped the board and ran the hell out of the room. Uh, they also saw, before they ran out of the room, uh, a shadow person figure in the window looking at them. It was a third floor window, so they thought that was sort of crazy. So, yeah, yeah, uh, to, to answer your question, uh, we, uh, Ouija board, board encounters or uh, uses have ended up with shadow people encounters. I got a weird Ouija board story here from uh, someone on my forum uh, that apparently in the 50s, they actually put stuff on the Ouija boards. You know how you, when you burn them, they're supposed to, like, you know, uh, it's supposed to, like, the only way to safely dispose of a Ouija board is to burn it or something like that? Can't you send it back to Milton Bradley? <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> but I guess that was, like, the urban legend. And then one of the toy companies that made the Ouija board put some stuff on it. And uh, so when you burned it, it would, like, make all sparks and stuff. You know, I hadn't heard that, but I have heard stories about people burning the board and it having, like, green and blue sparks shooting out. Yeah. That is funny. So. <laughs> yeah, let's screw with these people and, and make it spark when they set it on fire. I know, yeah. I was blown away by that story. I'm going to have to try and find out more about that and, and if it's true or not. But this this came from someone who knew a guy in the toy industry, so I, I trust his take on that. The uh, One of the other stories I did want to ask you about here in the book is is just a really strange exchange between you and someone on your blog under the chapter title Casey's Cry for Help and I really just didn't know what to make of it like it sounded and, and I, I with all due respect to Casey 
it sounded like just like a bad episode of Heroes, because you know she's saying we're we're a group of people who've developed powers and we're trying to fight the shadow people. And I was like, oh boy, what is this? Heroes or something? I don't know. People with powers and stuff. But uh, you dealt with with this whole, you know, you were the other end of this exchange, so I'm sure you have more to say about it. Uh, than I do. So I guess talk a little bit about that and, and enlighten me more to uh, this Casey character that uh, is featured in a chapter of your book. Right. This uh, actually, and I haven't, I, I, Heroes isn't, isn't, isn't on my, my watch list. So I, I didn't make that correlation, but I did think it sounded a lot like the X-Men if they were fighting, uh, fighting ghosts as opposed to uh, bad mutants. Exactly. Well, Heroes is pretty much X-Men, uh, you know, a watered down version of X-Men for TV. Okay. Uh, I'm still not exa- entirely sure what what to make of this. This chapter is unlike any other chapter in the book. Uh, in, in the other in my other chapters, I try to have, as I mentioned before, you know, expert opinions on what you know this aspect of, of shadow people might be. But this case, I thought was really interesting. Um, after one of my first shadow people stories, I got this email from Casey, who would not reveal to me her age, but. The language used and, and the spelling, which was cleaned up a little, made me think that, that this girl was probably a teenager. Yeah. Whether this person was pulling a prank, I seriously doubt because of the length of time and the amount of emails I got from this person. It was a lot of energy and a lot of time to put into something that was not going to really go anywhere. Yeah. Right. And and basically, she was describing that that herself and four or five other friends of hers had the sixth sensibility. You know, I can see dead people. I can see shadow people. I can tell when something's going to happen before it happens. And they were wanting to, you know, do battle, I guess, with with shadow people that they referred to as, as shades. And what they were looking for when they first contacted me was help. They wanted more people with abilities like theirs to help them with the, in the fight against against shadow people. You're like Dr. Xavier over here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I have a little more hair, fortunately. Uh, not a cool of voice, though, but, but uh, <laughs> anyway. Wilbon, tweeting at halftime, fair or foul? Tweeting is one of the worst things to ever happen to the United States. Don't you tweet? No, I don't tweet. PTI officially tweets no, now. They may tweet in my name. Yes, they no, do. I don't tweet. This I tweet in your name. one of the worst name. things ever. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Because now you get things like our dear friend J.A. Adande is tweeting, just landed in Portland to talk to the trailblazers. Really Why we do I care, care about that? Why do I care about this? I got to step up. Just let me step ask, up. Don't let me, announce let me, it. Let me and everyone's doing this. I'm like an old fart because I'm not doing it. Uh, and, and that's what she was she was looking for. And I wrote about uh, I wrote about her uh, and, and her group and her, and her cry for help in my blog and and gave her email address, and, and she emailed me back thanking me that she got uh, emails from, from tons of people who, who wanted to talk with her. And some of the strange things that, that she talked about were the attacks that shadow people had on her. She said that she was driving one night, and one appeared in her car and grabbed her wheel and started to turn it. And if she hadn't have been pointing toward a wall with a pentagram drawn on it, she feels she would have died. So now the pentagram is something she believes, you know, gives her magical powers. That now claims that uh, that she wears that all the time, and and you know, I guess is Buffy. 
Yeah, yeah. We should. We're just gonna end up picking on this girl, so we should. <laughs> well, yeah, we we should. I, know, I mean, she she might be dead serious. Yeah, but, she she may be totally serious. It just sounds so far out of left field that it was like, like I said, yeah, X Men. I was like, wait, man, you you're developing powers and you're putting together a team. You know, this is so far off the beaten path. You're right. It's unlike anything else in the book. It was like came out of left field. But I thought it was it was interesting enough to include in, in the book and. And since we're talking about it, I guess you thought it was interesting enough. Absolutely, to yeah. Oh, yeah, I found it totally interesting. Well, and one of the things that she said that at the time I didn't really, you know, know that much about, but she said that, that she found that, that music kind of kept these things at bay. And, gosh, now I can't even remember if I included that in, in no, the No, it chat. was in there, yeah. It was in there. Yeah. And, and since then, I've talked to a number of people that uh, have lived in houses that, they've had ghostly experiences in, and when they've kept the stereo on, uh, things go away. Or in, in an area of the house where they've always encountered something strange or something, a uh, feeling of foreboding, foreboding, and they're just, you know, uncomfortable to be there, if they sing, the feeling goes away. So I thought that point was, was extremely interesting. It is, it is strange. All right, yeah, Casey, I don't know what to make of her, so we'll... <laughs> We'll leave her at, at that. But where you did leave off here about the music is kind of a good segue here because uh, one of the recurring elements to people who said they fended off the shadow people or ended a specific shadow people attack or uh, encounter, let's say, you know, maybe they weren't being attacked, but the shadow people were hovering over them in an ominous fashion, uh, was to pray. And it does sound like there's some kind of spiritual element at work here. And, uh, you know, we don't want to jump too far into conclusions and, and suggest that these are demons outright, but it does make you think a little bit because the use of prayer to, to ward these things off does sound like it's a recurring uh, methodology. Well, it, it has been, but it, all, it also sits up there uh, or ranks up there with people saying, leave me alone, get out of here. Okay. You're not welcome here. Maybe the fact that these things <laughs> scare the heck out of somebody makes them immediately start using Jesus' name out loud. Okay, Maybe it's so. just the people. It, it, it might it, it might be demonic in origin. It might be just the fact that uh, people are scared to death, and where do they turn to when they're scared? You know, the whole uh, there's no atheist in foxholes kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. So it may not necessarily be what they're saying, but just that they're saying something in general. Right. Interesting. Okay. Never... But I do know if I'm, I experience this, I am going to use Jesus' name. So. I'm not going to experiment with it. I'm not going to play around. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to start reciting Monty Python lines to the thing. I'm, yeah. Oh, exactly. Right yeah. down to business. Yeah, you want to yeah. go with your best move. Exactly, exactly. So, if my fastball is better than my curve, I'm, I'm going with the fastball. Exactly, exactly. You need that out pitch when the, when the shadow person's conjured near you. Now, uh, one, one kind of freaky thing that is a part of the shadow people uh, world, I guess you could say, is these shadow animals which uh, I've heard different stories about shadow rats and shadow cats and stuff, but it's still pretty weird. Like, I, it definitely adds to the whole idea that we're dealing with many different things at once here. Right. Uh, the uh, Of the, the shadow animals sort of uh, – well, maybe we're not. Well, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Okay. All, all of the, the shadow animals that, that I've gotten reports on, there have been one of a spider, one of, for all, of all things, a gorilla. Yeah, that was a weird one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but most of the, the reports I've gotten, I've, I have talked to people about rats, but uh, it was after the book had gone to, gone to press, but most of them have been cats. 
which I find fairly interesting. I don't know if it's people's basic perception, if it has to do with the culture, uh, with, with the fact that cats have been associated with, you know, evil for, for centuries, back to witches' familiars. Uh, in, in, the, uh, in the witch trials, uh, the people who were accused to be witches, they're, they're, if they had a cat, it was killed with them because it was their familiar with, with, with Satan. So I, I don't know if it's, if it's entities manifesting themselves as cats because it is so part of our culture or, or if they're just ghost cats. <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know, but, but cats seem to be, be kind of prevalent. One of the more frightening encounters that I didn't put under animals, but after thinking about it, it, it seemed to behave kind of like an animal. Uh, let's see if you remember this encounter. This woman was pregnant. She got up to use the bathroom. She walked down the hall, and the toilet faced the door, which faced the hallway. Mm-hmm. I remember this one, yeah. Right, and she saw uh, two red eyes at the end of the hall. The behavior of the eyes kind of seems to seem to me of a dog uh, stalking something, a, a canine type, yeah. as it walked down, down the hall. Uh, Archbishop James Long out of, out of Kentucky, I'm, I, I interviewed him for this, and he explained that uh, a lot of demonic figures will appear as red-eyed dogs. Weird. So that that kind of you know kind of went together with that for me at least. Yeah, I'm not so much wanting to see a red-eyed dog. Yeah, jeez. with purple tongues freak me out enough. What's that? Dogs with purple tongues? Chows with yeah, chows. The dogs with purple tongues. Oh. <laughs> I was gonna say, you know, like I haven't seen any any of these shadow things, and a part of me, you know, doesn't want to, but then there's a part of me that does. That sort of feeling was coalesced in the book by one lady who had frequent shadow appearances, and I, you know, you and I may both not remember this, the specifics of it, but I know that she said something like something like she had all these shadow entity experiences, and then they stopped, and she hopes she never has them again, but also. She kind of wishes she would, or something weird like that. Right. It's uh, a woman. I believe her name is Alicia. She is from England. When she was young, nine, ten years old, something like that. In in the house where she lived, her mother's room scared the hell out of her. Yeah. Yeah, because she would see the shadow man in there, and she knew he was approaching. By she said she could hear this heartbeat, loud, uh, timpani-like heartbeat, and she would be frozen in place and it would walk toward her and she would drop to the floor in a fetal position and close her eyes hoping the thing would go away and it wouldn't. She would wake up to find herself at its feet and and eventually she would get up enough energy to run the hell out of the room. And that lasted for a few years. One of the things that really got her is uh, she had to go to go to the bathroom. She was a young teen and walked upstairs. Her, her family was all downstairs and when she got to the top of the stairs where the entrance to the room was, she heard that noise and started to feel herself pulled. And she said she had to wrap her legs around the banister and her body was level, was horizontal with the ground because it was like she was being sucked into that room. Yeah. And finally she was able to pull herself up to the banister and drag herself downstairs and where nobody believed her. But, yeah, she's the one who said after she moved out when she was in her early 20s, she hadn't seen that, but she... In the back of her head, she really kind of wanted to experience that again, just to know that it was all true. Yeah, yeah, that's such a weird emotion, I guess you could say, but but you can kind of identify with it too. You know what I mean? It was like that was terrifying, but kind of wish it would happen again. <laughs> but, well, I mean, it was it was it was 
part of her life. When something's part of your life, whether it's good or bad, you at some level kind of miss it. Yeah, that's true. I never thought of it that way. With all the different like religious people you talk to, pretty much of the opinion that these things are demonic. Well, it it, it kind of depends. The Christianity, absolutely, absolutely, it was demonic. Um, in Islam, uh, this fit the description of the of the jinn. Uh, the jinn is a lot more complicated than I knew going into this. Uh, that jinn who are everyone has a jinn attached to them. Oh yes, I I remember that part in the <laughs> in the book that said uh, if you're not Islamic. Then when you die, your jinn sits on your grave and curses you through eternity. Right, eternity, exactly. It's like, oh, jeez. Yeah, we got that looking forward. To. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Looking forward to. Right, and and uh, if the if you are Islamic and and your jinn is Islamic, the, the the jinn can appear as a normal person and even marry humans. But if your your jinn is not Islamic, jinns don't have to be Islamic. They tend to be evil and they haunt. Graveyards and and bazaars and places lonely lo and other lonely places bazaars aren't necessarily lonely but places where people visit so they can attach themselves to you and and control you. Hindus uh, had had an explanation for the entities I described also, but it was a little bit more benign. They were basically spirits that were in between existences in the whole reincarnation thing. They mm -hmm. were just in between in between bodies. I found the Buddhist uh, response, a little curious. I couldn't find anybody to tell me what, what shadow people were. They just said, these are dark entities. We, we don't want to talk about it. Let's talk about positive things. Weird. Now, what about, I don't put too much stock in psychics, but at the same time, they're sort of like the only experts you really can get on some of these topics. <laughs> right. And, and they're only, uh, I am self-build experts, I guess you could say, you know, I mean, you have to just take their word for it that they know what they're talking about. It, exactly. I'm extremely dubious of, of psychics. Uh, yeah, I'd love, uh, love, love to see a psychic in action. Someone in the room, speaking to a room of 50 people, is worried about somebody whose name begins with an S. Oh, it's me! It's me! Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are, there actually been two, two psychics I've, I've spoken with who I believed First one I can't remember the name, but this is this is the shorter of the stories, so I'll tell it. Uh, she was a spiritualist medium, and I asked her, "How do you become a spiritualist medium, or how do you become a spiritualist?" Period, because it's a religion. And she goes, now, "One of two ways. One, you can be born in, into this religion, a lot like you were. You were born uh, born as a Methodist, or you could change your religion, a lot like your mom, who was a Catholic before she married your dad and converted to, to becoming a Methodist." Now, she didn't know who I was. We'd never met. She didn't know we were going to meet, as far as I knew. Yeah. Uh, and she pulled these facts out. You know, Midwest, uh, she could have picked Baptist, Presbyterian, <laughs> Lutheran, anything. But, yeah, she nailed everything, even to my mom converting converting from being a Catholic to a Methodist. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, there there have been a couple of cases where I believe psychics, but mainly... I think it's just a lot of they want our money. But anyway, going going back to your to your question about about the experts, yeah, I mean, I had to turn to to some psychics because where do you find experts in this field? Exactly. Even though they're like self-styled experts, there's some they're like they're all you got, I guess, you know. Right. And and in that case, what do, what do they usually say uh, are the shadow people? Uh, ghosts mostly. Interesting. Which and, and let's, <laughs> let's, 
let's turn this back. Let's turn this back to, to Christianity. Uh, in Christianity, uh, most ghosts or most people consider ghosts to be demonic because it uh, says in the Bible that heaven and hell can converse, but they can't converse with uh, humans on on Earth uh, unless given direct permission by God. Weird. Yeah, this this shadow thing. There's so many different points of view on it. It's like so hard to wrap your mind around. Well, and and you mentioned the the ET the ET thing, which is you know seems to be completely completely out of left field. And then you've got uh, a number of people who, who who I've quoted in the book as saying that they're not just ETs but reptilians. Yeah, yeah. I was really taken aback by that in there because it was just like reptilians. Like now we're really reaching, although. There's something to that reptilian-like undercurrent that it just shows up in so many places that you almost start to think that maybe there's something to the reptilian thing, but then you're like, try it, and then you catch yourself. Right, right, exactly. And I wouldn't have included this. Uh, I talked to to a couple of people. One one guy being a PhD who who told me that yeah, this is what they are. They're definitely reptilians, and and they're disguising themselves as, as shadow people. Or one other person said that's how they appear because they live in a little bit of a higher plane than us, and that's all we can see of them. But there were a couple of, of reports from people I got that kind of caught shadow people off guard, and they saw lizard skin. They saw uh, lizard hands and webbed fingers like a gecko. So if I get get something from, from one source, you know, I don't really believe it. If I get it from three or four, there might be something to it. Yeah, that's that's kind of how you have to handle this, this sort of thing. Now, I, I've heard before in the past that, like, if you spend a lot of time on the computer because of the flicker rate of the monitor or something, that it, like, conditions your eyes to be more prone to noticing shadow people in the moments after you get off the computer. Have you ever heard that sort of thing? Uh, no, I, I haven't, but... Uh... I have a number of stories in the book uh, of people who were on the computer uh, doing something on a computer when in, when they saw shadow people. So yeah. there may be maybe co- correlation. Well, what about the flicker rate of anime? <laughs> you know, <laughs> might cause the same thing. There's always sort of like the double-edged sword of people on drugs who have these sort of uh, situations, you know, UFO sightings or all sorts of different paranormal experiences. Do you have uh, have you heard any stories like that involving the shadow people? No, not not really. That's more in the in the line of uh, of uh, of a project I'm considering working on about black-eyed kids. Drugs has, has come into come into being there. There haven't been of all the reports I have on on shadow people, a couple of them uh, have been by people who've admitted maybe that they would, uh, you know, had just left the bar. But uh, other than that, you know, drugs haven't been haven't been a part of it at all. Yeah, most people probably, even if drugs were involved, they wouldn't say or something. You know what I mean? Which, yeah, probably not. But you know, we've got we've got a chemist friend of mine, which is really kind of neat working at a university. I've, I've got a friend who's a chemist and a physicist. Where the heck can you say that? <laughs> yeah. But in, anyway, because I talked to him about this, and he goes, "Yeah, you know, we've got so many chemicals swimming around in our heads that." can cause so many different things to happen. You know, why do you really need drugs? Yeah, that's the thing, too, with the shadow people and kind of like what we were saying about the sleep paralysis, but sometimes these things happen when people are awake and stuff. Uh, We just don't really know that it isn't just some kind of brain chemical thing. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. Well, one of the, the, not just 
chemical, but you'd mentioned electricity earlier. Yeah. There was a case, a uh, guy out of, oh, I can't remember his name, but he, he was out of Sweden, a scientist out of Sweden, who was doing an experiment on uh, epilepsy. And one of the one of the people that he was testing was a 22-year-old student, and he would fire electricity into one specific part of her brain, and she noticed out of the corner of her eye a, a shadow person. Yeah. And the more he did this experiment, the closer the shadow person got. And finally, he was standing behind her. And then he was standing next to her. And then he was sitting next to her. And then he was not just sitting next to her. He was trying to grab things out of her hand. And everybody who was, you know, with the test was sitting there watching, and there was just this girl sitting in a chair. But what she was reporting was scaring the hell out of her because there was this shadow man next to her trying to grab things from her. Now, you got to think, is that a result of, you know, just her imagining it because of the electricity being pumped into her head? Or was the electricity being pumped in her head attracting the shadow person? Exactly, yeah. It's like a catch-22. You don't really know what the source of the thing is, really. Is the experiment causing the shadow person to show up, or is it just causing her to think it's showing up? Right. We don't know. And how do you prove that? I, I don't know. Exactly. Yeah, and that's, that's one of the one of the things of, of the book. I tried to throw so many things out there to, to have people who've experienced shadow people to think, you know, this is the explanation of mine. This is why I saw my shadow person. This is what it was. It wasn't, wasn't a demon. It wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't a ghost. It was somebody astral project, projecting or, or, or whatnot. I just, I, I didn't, I, I found out I couldn't answer the question, what are shadow people, just with one answer. Yeah. So I threw as many out as I possibly could. Now, is there any way to, like, try and do some kind of concentrated study on these shadow people? Like, let's say, for instance, uh, the guy there in England with the TV and, and the light socket and everything, since he kept having repeated shadow people incidents, if we could find someone like that closer to us, <laughs> yeah. even though I'm in Boston and you're in Missouri, but, you know, someone someone in Missouri or whatever, if uh, they were having, like, repeated shadow person sightings, would there be a way, you think, to go and, and, and sort of do some kind of study? I, I think so, absolutely. Uh, I, I mentioned my buddies in the phys physics and chemistry departments. They're ghost hunters. <laughs> they want to find these things. They've said, if anybody finds something, it I want it to be us because we're scientists. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, if, if we could find something uh, close enough to home, I'm, I'm sure they'd be game. That would be something groundbreaking, I guess. Right, and and, and I'm uh, basically, I mean, I, I, I'm science-minded at, at heart. I, I've had a couple of weird things happen to me. Uh, I don't know how to explain them, I'm, but I'm not, I, I don't know if there is an explanation or not. There could be. And, and, and with ghosts and shadow people, uh, and with Bigfoot, you know, <laughs> it's, if it's scientifically plausible, if it can be scientifically proven, I'm not going to believe it. Until I see it. Yeah. It seems like there's not too many avenues to explore as far as trying to study these things or trying to get, get down to brass tacks of what they are unless we can get some kind of situation where they're recurring on a regular basis, but we know for sure. Right. Maybe we should uh, go back to 19, uh, 1975 and go to and, uh, set these scientists up in my room. <laughs> they were there. <laughs> I believe you. I believe most of the people in the book. It's weird, though. It's like that story Flatland with the two-dimensional 
people and, and uh, running into the three-dimensional people. For someone who hasn't seen these things, it's hard to wrap your mind around just what the experiences really must be like in, in the flesh. Do you know right. what I mean? Oh, exactly. It's like dragging a fish out of the ocean and bringing them up to the world of, of the air. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they have absolutely no basis on, on, on what the – you know, to, to base their surroundings on. Yeah, com- completely. And uh, some of the other spooky elements to the book were just that uh, some of these things talk, huh? Yeah, very, very few. Very few of them do, but but some of them talk. One of the experiences uh, had to do with these beings explaining to somebody. A, a guy was having a sleep paralysis back. He was a Vietnam, you know, he was a Vietnam vet. But he was having sleep paralysis when he saw these things. And he was hearing uh, a buzzing noise, and he was he was just pinned to the bed, and he didn't know what to do. And one of these entities saw that he was distraught and explained to him how he could loosen the grip, which was to hum. So something explained to him how to, to, to solve the problem. In another case, a guy named Mick out of Toronto, this thing scared the hell out of him because it was – demanding him to ask ask questions uh, of it and then basically took him to to another world and uh and then just frightened the crap out of him yeah that's a weird one i remember that one questions 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 yes yeah oh boy yeah very spooky book folks i'm telling you uh definitely worth picking up if you if you want to get a good scare and uh a scare from something that's you know real in the sense this isn't a fictional book this is these are people's real stories now, how did you end up getting all these stories, just through your blog and, and people contacting you and, and sending you stuff? Uh, yes, yes, and, and more. Uh, after my uh, after I started with the blog and uh, after my first book of Paranormal Stories came out, my email address has been out there and, and, and ways to contact me have been. I've just been flooded uh, with people talk, getting a hold of me, uh, mainly because once – I mean, I think Paranormal Stories – or encounters are everywhere. Yeah. And people are just afraid to talk about them. But since I write about them now, people know I'm not going to prejudge them. Yeah, that happens it, to me all the time, yeah. Right, right. So I get stories from people people like, like crazy, it's just not through my blog, but through email and other, other ways. Oh, yeah. You go down to the store for something, and you run into somebody, and they ask you what you're doing, and you tell them, and the next thing you know, they want to tell you their UFO story. Oh, exactly, exactly. Sometimes it's kind of fun and nice, but then other times you're like, listen, dude, I just want to get my milk and get yeah. out of here. <laughs> well, and sometimes it creeps the hell out of me. Depends on who's talking with me. <laughs> One other story that's in the book that was kind of weird because uh, it involved like a moving truck and, and just some real strangeness there. And, and it, it is what had made me originally ask you about people sort of getting stuck with these shadow entities because these folks had – never seen them before, and then they had this really strange encounter while they were driving in their truck, and now they get them all the time, these shadow entities. Uh, and that's the story of Lucy. So I guess talk a b- little bit about that that story in the book. Well, Lucy uh, and her husband were moving from, uh, I think it was, yeah, it was Oregon. They were moving to Ohio in the uh, early 2000s, and they'd rented a truck. And one of the interesting things ab- about this is they seem to have witnessed sort of another reality impressed upon ours. As, as they were driving, Lucy kept seeing these shadow people, the, the cloaked kind, wearing a, wearing a monk's cowl, walking. Not really walking, but traveling. Uh, not along the highway, but it looked like they were traveling 
along a highway, and they were floating about six six inches to a foot foot off the ground. She didn't mention anything because she didn't want her husband to think she was nuts. <laughs> but they were they were they were driving for for quite a while, and she kept noticing these things, and she couldn't help herself but look at them, and and they looked to be traveling purposefully, which is how a lot of these uh, shadow people encounters are. They the ones who don't notice people look like they're traveling from point A to point B. Right. But she saw a lot of them doing that. And it wasn't until one passed right through the cab of the truck, and her and her husband both looked at it, that she was able to mention something to her husband, and he'd been seeing them the whole time, too, and he didn't want her to think he was nuts. Yeah. But they got to just discussing it, and, and it looked like, the way she describes it, is there were like shadow people highways. And maybe they were getting a glimpse into a different plane of existence uh, watching these figures. That was her expl explanation to them. Uh, but they, they stopped and compared notes and, and had all – they'd both seen the same thing uh, throughout their trip. And, and all she said they had to drink was coffee. Yeah. But after they, they got, to, got to Ohio and settled down, they, they still occasionally see these things uh, walking through their yard, walking through their house. And they'd never seen them before before that trip to Ohio. Yeah, that's the weird part. It sounds like once you get them, you're, you're kind of like stuck with it or something. I don't kinda know. Kind of like roaches. I, <laughs> indeed. And uh, one other uh, chapter in the book that I found interesting and is a subject that I wanted to explore for a while. It's just sort of like uh, youngsters and children and, and the paranormal and how it seems like they are way more open to strange events than normal people are, or adults, <laughs> than adults are. No, and, no, kids, you're right. Kids aren't normal. <laughs> I have kids, and they are not, not normal. <laughs> but it, it does seem kind of strange, and, and you do talk about that in the book, and I'm sure you've experienced that too. Now, does your kid have weird experiences like that? Not that I know of. Uh, I've got uh, one, one, is, uh, one is four and one is two, and, and uh, they probably still think if they do experience anything, it's normal. Yeah. Uh, but... Yeah, uh, a lot of people I, I've talked to with, with, you know, children experiencing the, the paranormal have either tacked it up to, well, they're kids and they're just, you know, using their imagination. But the more plausible explanation with a lot of cases, to me at least, are the fact that they can, for some reason, see things that we can't. Maybe it's because society hasn't yet programmed them to believe that, you know, there are no such thing as ghosts. There are no, no such thing as UFOs. These things don't exist. You know, to where they, they still see those things. The late Douglas Adams, who wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, mm -hmm. had a theory about this. He called it someone else's problem. And adults can't see things that are abnormal right in front of their face because as soon as they see it, it's their problem. Yeah. So you can have a UFO parked on the, you know, a street corner and nobody's going to see it because they don't want to, they don't want to be bothered with it. Exactly, yeah. Right. And, and kids aren't, aren't programmed like that up, up to this point. Uh, or it, it just, you know, maybe their eyes are better adjusted than ours. It, it makes me think of, of animals, dogs and cats. You know, I've lived in a house to where my, my wife and uh, some people would come over would see uh, a cat at their feet. Uh, while our, the only cat in the house was laying on the couch in, in obvious view. Uh, I never saw the thing at my feet, but people would see it enough to where they'd try to step over it and there wouldn't be anything there. But our, the cat in the house would, at times, look like it was playing with something that wasn't there. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe them and uh, cats, animals, dogs, 
kids uh, are all attuned to something that we're not. Yeah, it seems that way. I'd like to see more research done into that. They, kids may be our gateway to the strange world of uh, the paranormal that people haven't really appreciated or looked at yet. Right, exactly, yeah. And just to play the opposite of a devil's advocate or, or the opposite skeptical take is, uh, with regards to these shadow people, is that a lot of these stories are like the uh, like the one there with Lucy in the truck and her husband are multiple witness events. So we're we're dealing with situations where it's unlikely that it's some kind of brain chemical thing. Right, and I've I've had uh, I've got a number of those in the book that are multiple witness events. Uh, I interviewed a woman who her her paranormal group was was investigating a haunted house and and found absolutely nothing, and they were sitting in an upstairs room, and all of a sudden there was uh, a body, a, sh- a shadow person body standing in the window. And they sat there and, and looked at it for a while until it disappeared. There were, you know, five people there. Yeah. Those are like the best kind of events you can get for paranormal events. And, and uh, there's a lot of those in the shadow world. So there's definitely something to this. But what it is, I'm still wicked confused. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and again, that's why I, I'm glad that I, I explored so many different uh, so many different reasons in the book. Because, uh, you know, like we touched on before, there's there are more than one explanation. What, are, what the ones were that walked walk through my room when I was uh, 8, 9, 10 years old, I have no idea. But they're completely different from a lot of explanations and, and a lot of stories that I've gotten from other people uh, that are listed, listed in the book. Yeah, absolutely. It's like uh, they all sort of fit within the same realm, but then as you get closer and look more specifically at the stories, you can kind of tell that they're not really the same thing. You know what I mean? Right, right. Well, I mean, ghosts, uh, I mean, it's got to take probably a lot of a lot of energy to manifest yourself. Uh, a full-bodied apparition, I would think, wow, that'd be a lot of energy. But uh, just the shadow of one, you know, maybe not as much. Yeah. Uh, demons, uh, people I've talked to uh, in, in the religious circles, uh, demons can appear as, as dark shapes that uh, that are never... And this this is one of the points they made out specifically that that resonated with me. They're never exactly human shaped. Yeah, I noticed that in the book too. Yeah. Right, because uh, you know the the things created by you know, created by God, the, the the humans created by God are human shaped. These things are just perversions that attempt to mimic human shape. So you know when when you've got that explanation, and most shadow people aren't exactly shaped like a human. You know, makes makes you kind of wonder the 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 ET explanation and all the the terrestrial explanations. The, the sleep paralysis makes makes a lot of a lot of sense. You know, people just whacked out of their freaking head. <laughs> you know, could could be could be some of this too. So yeah, there there's there's so many explanations that you can't pin pin any one thing down. All right. Well, as we've established here, this is your second book, and you also wrote uh, Haunted Missouri, A Ghostly Guide to the Show Me State's Most Spirited Spots, which I'll definitely have to check out as well. But I'm sure you have a lot of stuff in the pipeline. I know for a fact that you do, actually, because I've got my hands on some sample chapters for your next book. And uh, I know you have a lot of stuff cooking. So what, what's next for Jason Offit that uh, folks can look forward to in the future? I have uh, have a book that's in uh, in the hands of the publisher right now. Uh, title is tentatively tentatively around. It's well, either a hundred miles or within a hundred miles. I'm not sure which sounds sounds good enough yet. I wanted to explore how many paranormal things I could find within a hundred miles of my house. Mm-hmm. 
mainly because when I came up with the idea, gas was almost four bucks. <laughs> but no, it was a joke. Yeah, um, because uh, you know when you hear when people think about paranormal stuff, it's uh, you know in, in the Pacific Northwest or Roswell, New Mexico, or down in the jungles of South America. But there are a lot of paranormal things all around you, and uh, I found some. I mean, just to give you an example, not just ghost stories, UFO reports. Within 100 miles of my house, I found a guy who claims to have invented a time machine and traveled in time, demon possession and, and screwed up exorcism. And uh, uh, one of the most famous abduction, UFO abduction cases in the U.S. that occurred in, in Nebraska. Oh, wow. So that's, I found some pretty cool stuff. And that's just all within 100 miles of you? Within 100 miles, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I like that. Yeah, because like you said, the, the paranormal is like everywhere, and uh, people don't realize that, or, or you know, people who aren't as into the paranormal as we are don't realize it. No, uh, exactly. Yeah, the subhead's something like what's outside your back door. Ooh, spooky. Yeah. And what else you got cooking outside of uh, within? A, I like within a hundred miles for the title. The within. All right. I, I feel you. like within is works a little better. Okay, good. Tell, a, it's a little a hundred, bit more telling. Yeah, a hundred miles. I don't know. It sounds. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> it sounds like more of a of a really long off sequel to Eminem's uh, Eight Mile. They, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What uh, else you got cooking? Well, the the other thing I've got going on right now is uh, I, I teach journalism at a university, and uh, I've offered what may be the first of its kind in the U.S. Uh, a class called Paranormal Journalism. It's a one time offering next semester, and uh, what I want to do is teach. Uh, a, a generation of journalism students, or at least 22 of them that are enrolled, to um, report on paranormal activity a lot better than the news media does now. You know, yeah, yeah, not tongue in cheek. I'm, I'm, I'm teaching. I'm going to teach these kids to do it uh, completely seriously and, and to pre present uh, a, a direct, traditional journalistic ex uh, approach to Bigfoot encounters and, and ghost stories and things of that nature. And what's the reaction been like uh, from your colleagues and stuff there? Uh, well, after uh, after my first book came out, they knew I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they knew I wasn't one of them, so they just uh, smile and nod a lot. Oh, there you go. All right. Yeah, they're not trying to drum you out of the university or anything like that, John Mack style. No, no, no. They they tried to do that because uh, because I vote Republican. <laughs> I thought I thought that was like uh, hardcore. Thought you guys were hardcore red out there. Oh, not in the university system. Hell no. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I yeah, didn't the, think of that. The state is, but no, this the, this is the bastion of liberalism, like every university is. Well, you know, let's not go there. We already uh, we've, <laughs> we've already, already explored that. We've already explored that in the listener feedback. Well, we have to look at my career choices. I was a journalist, and now I teach at a university, so uh, I must feel comfortable. Yeah, you're like you're like. Uh... I don't know what you're like a subversive in that world now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Well, the book, of course, as we said, is "Darkness Walks: The Shadow People Among Us" uh, via Anomalous Books. Folks can go to anomalousbooks.com to uh, pick that one up. And your website, either go to from hyphen the hyphen shadows dot blogspot dot com. Or just punch in Jason Offutt, O-F-F-U-T-T, and From the Shadows, and that'll pick it up on Google so you don't have to worry about the hyphens. And we're going to work on getting you a more <laughs> reasonable website. Now, what about JasonOffutt.com? Is that, is that up there? 
Uh, yeah, it is. It, 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 JasonOffit.com explores my other life as a humor columnist. Yeah, you have another book out also that is non-paranormal related called uh, On Being Dad. So that's Correct. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah it's of all uh, the fun things that kids put you through. And uh, the parents out there know exactly what I'm talking about. Just tonight, my uh, my daughter, two, two and a half years old, poured a bucket of sand over her head. What's the rationale behind that? I don't know. That's strange. That is uh, pretty weird, but... <laughs> Who knows? Some No paranormal connection that we know of yet. Yet. <laughs> All right. Well, Jason, hey, it was great to have you on the show. You wrote a fantastic book here, Darkness Walks. I wish you the best of luck. I really like that you're delving into the shadow people topic. Feels like this season we've covered a lot of fringe elements in the world of the paranormal, and, and shadow people is definitely residing right there on the fringe in the world of esoterica, so... It's uh, definitely in keeping with what's been going on here on Season 4, and it's been great to have you on the show. It's always weird to have someone who's a listener also as a guest, but it's been fun, and, and hopefully uh, the peek behind the curtain of how BOA Audio works wasn't too uh, disenfranchising for you. No, Tim, everything was fantastic. I really, really appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, I love listening to you, and uh, I hope I was both exciting and interesting. Well, we'll let the listeners know. <laughs> <laughs> No, you did a great job, man. I really appreciate it. And like I said, uh, you know, it's been it's been cool to have sort of uh, this exchange of emails flourish into a good friendship. So I look forward to working with you more in the future and and uh, seeing what other kind of stuff you come up with. Thanks for coming on the show. All right, hey Tim, thank you very much. That does it for this week's edition of BOA Audio Season Four. Big, big, super huge thanks to Jason Offit for coming on the show. Great guy, fascinating subject, really enjoyed talking to him. You can find out more from Jason at the website, www.fromtheshadows.blogspot.com, from-the-shadows.blogspot.com, check that out. And if you want to pick up the book, go to anomalistbooks.com or amazon.com and find Darkness Walks, The Shadow People Among Us. I give it a huge recommendation, especially for this time of year. Perfect book for sitting around by the campfire and reading some of these stories. You will just be completely freaked out after just a few pages of reading some of these tales of shadow people encounters that Jason has collected in the book. Highly recommended, as I said. Check it out. Darkness Walks, The Shadow People Among Us. Moving on, you know what's next. It is the segment we like to call BOA Audio Listener Feedback. And as you can imagine, since we've been off the air for about a month, the mailbag is brimming with stuff. But this week we're just going to do one email because it's rather long and it's nicely organized. So it'll be easy for me to deal with step by step. It comes from Jeff in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and here's what he has to say. You're doing a public service in the tons of legwork and time spent making BOA happen. And BOA Audio's accessible format, rich and critical thinking content, an affordable price tag, for us, not you, are utterly essential in a world of esoterica that is, more often than not, I say, not worth accessing for its richly uncritical and commercialness. And thanks for putting the word esoterica in my vocabulary years ago. Constructive criticism. 1. Stop smoking. It is a cool image to think of you in a noir closet studio, driven and smoking like a stack, as you say. But what's cool is the passion the near thankless and unknown work hours it takes to keep putting out the content, the vital messages, not the smoke. Too many people smoke and encourage more smoking, which is making great people like you 
live sicker lives, and die younger, ultimately because our culture has been gamed by tobacco company marketers. 2. Drop details now and then about the BOA columns, as opposed to just plugging them. I would be more moved to start sparing precious time to read them if I knew some specifics of what lies in store. 3. You don't always have to have a guest. Consider doing solo shows now and then, discussing a topic deserving special consideration or mention, or gathering miscellaneous notes and freestyling on them. Authors slash experts, genre big names, and witnesses are all certain kinds of people, and host slash info traffickers are another. I'd like to hear from the latter as much as the former, especially if they're non-profit. Thanks and best to you, Jeff, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Thank you for writing in, Jeff. Your email moved me to a degree that I put it right to the top of the listener feedback pile here for our return episode. First of all, thank you for the props on the show. I really appreciate them. It is quite a bit of legwork here to put out the program, and I definitely have been feeling the burn here during the spring break with trying to balance the BOA franchise with my off-site work. But thankfully, we're back here for the final nine episodes of BOA Audio, eight at this point, since this one's pretty much over. And uh, things are looking pretty strong here to wrap up the season, as I'll talk about a little bit later on. As far as the word esoterica goes, I get some flack for using it too much, and I do think I probably use it too much. I'm trying to switch in the word paranormal in with esoteric every now and again, because in some ways I feel like my goal of integrating the word esoterica into the esoteric community has really picked up. I don't know how much of that is my doing or just the general vibe of the field right now, but I have noticed the word esoterica popping up more and more as the alternative title for the paranormal community, so I'm, I'm really happy about that because it's something that I've been pushing for, as many people know here, over the last four years. On to the constructive criticism. First of all, thank you for sending me constructive, thoughtful criticism. First, stop smoking. I totally, absolutely agree with you, and that is why I said this email moved me, and I wanted to put it to the top of the list here for the return of BOA Audio and the listener feedback. As many listeners who've been checking out the program for a long time know, but a fact that some folks who just discovered us in the last two years or so may not know is that about two years ago, almost to the day, my father passed away from lung cancer. He was a lifelong smoker, so I know as well as anybody out there how horrific smoking can be for people and their lives and how it can really destroy families. And so, you know, you're absolutely right, Jeff. First of all, I should not even be smoking, considering what happened to my father. But when you're living this high-impact, stressful life that is the uh, organizer and founder of BOA, it's hard to find the time to actually concentrate on taking care of, uh, you know, your own health and stuff like that. So that's totally true. Maybe when we wrap up Season 4, I can really put a serious effort into quitting smoking. But I just want to say, you know, to all the folks out there, there's nothing cool about smoking. Believe me, if I could quit smoking... I would be one of the happiest dudes you'd ever meet. It is a horrific, awful habit. It's a disgusting habit. And it is just not good for you, and it's expensive. And it's definitely something that I don't want to encourage anybody to do, and I definitely want to discourage anyone who might think that smoking is cool. There's nothing cool about smoking, folks. It's disgusting. So don't smoke. That's the, that's the real point of uh, 
what I want to say here, and, uh, you know, trust me, it sucks. Two, drop details now and then about the BOA columns. That's a really cool idea. I've tried it from time to time, and then second-guess myself and take it out, because I'm a little worried that the end of the show is going to be too long. But since this is something that you've suggested, I'll give it a shot. Maybe not this week, since your email is so long, I'm going to be talking for a while here. But next week, we'll give it a shot and plug some of the topics and stuff like that that's going on in the BOA columns. Number three, you don't always have to have a guest. I'm going to have to politely disagree with you here on this one, Jeff. There is no way I could do a solo show. I can barely get by doing these intros and outros. They drive me crazy, as many people who (laughs) have heard my other appearances on other shows when I talk about the program. I really don't like doing them. I'd like to find a better way of doing them, but maybe we can just sort of keep adding a little bit more and more here to the end of the show and uh, that could suffice as a solo show. And maybe uh, I'll throw in some kind of new segment where I discuss miscellaneous notes, as you say, in freestyle or something like that. So, you know, I'll give it some thought. Regarding host slash info traffickers, I definitely agree with you that they are fascinating people to that end. You know, someone from last season who I really enjoyed having on the program, Smiles Lewis, a big mover and shaker and player behind the scenes in the world of Esoterica. I'd like to do definitely another episode like that here this season with someone who's, you know, doing a lot behind the scenes, doesn't get out that much, and really is a power broker as far as the info trafficking goes in the world of Esoterica. So stay tuned for something like that. I agree with you. We want to cover the whole spectrum of the paranormal world, not just the big names, the witnesses, and the authors and experts, as you say, but also a lot of the people that are behind the scenes doing a lot of great, fantastic work, and don't get much credit for it. So there you go. Thank you so much for writing in, Jeff. I appreciate the thoughtful, constructive criticism. I'm always open to hearing from people who have suggestions and want to tell me maybe to change something, do something differently, stop doing this, do more of that. That's cool. I want to hear from that. You're the listeners. This program is as much yours as it is mine. I want to know what you want to hear on the show. You just heard a great email from Jeff. How'd you like to hear one of your emails read here at the end of the program? That's pretty simple to do. Just send me your correspondence. And how do you do that? There's three methods. A, go to Banal of America and click the contact button. B, write to boaaudio at hotmail.com. Or C, join up at the official BOA forum, the US of E.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com. Closing the book there on BOA Audio listener feedback. It's time for the thanks portion of the show. The infamous and esteemed staff of BOA did an amazing job of keeping the website afloat while I was on spring break. Unfortunately, I did not post any written material despite what I'd hoped to do before the spring break, so I apologize for that. But thankfully, the BOA staff penned a number of fantastic columns Let me run down the list of the fine folks who are a part of our BOA crew. Leslie, Chiron, R. Lee, Joe V., Tina Senna, Rochelle Hawks, Richard Thomas, Lasha Siniuk, and the newest voice at BOA, A.J. Murphy, who is the author behind the column Not Always So, a new bi-weekly piece at BOA on Wednesdays. Check that out at The Mothership. I can't thank them enough. They're great folks. I enjoy working with them week in and week out. They are fantastic. They are my support structure, really. They keep me going more than you could ever imagine, so I can't thank them enough for being 
there for me during the downtimes and during the busy season as we are sort of getting into right now here on BOA Audio. Big thanks to them. Once again, thanks for holding up the website over the last month. We say it week in and week out, if you're only listening to BOA Audio and you're not reading the columns at Been All of America, you're only getting half the story. BeenAllOfAmerica.com B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com Make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. When we last left you, I asked you not to make donations over the course of spring break. Now I'm back, and I'm going to have to ask you for some donations, folks. We are taping a massive amount of material, as you can expect, producing the final nine episodes of BOA Audio. Big names, another big international episode coming up, a marathon episode coming up soon as well. I'll talk a little bit more about these things in a moment, but for now, let me just take off my hat pass it around the room and ask for some donations from the great BOA Audio listeners. I know the financial crisis is grueling. It's hopefully, it seems like things are turning around, but I can never tell. One day it's good, one day it's bad. You never know what's going on with this thing. But there are some folks who are doing pretty good. They're hanging in there. They've got secure jobs and they are BOA Audio listeners. To those folks, I ask you just to dig a little bit into your wallet and or purse and make a donation to BOA and BOA Audio. No donation is too small, and all donations go towards the website and the audio series. And no matter what you donate, it's greatly appreciated by myself, the BOA staff, and all of BOA Nation who enjoy our unique brand of esoteric entertainment. Next week on the program, it's another one of our trademark jam sessions, as we welcome spellbinding esoteric researcher Tracy Twyman, She's going to be talking about just an amazing array of different topics. Truth be told, I didn't know what I was getting myself into here with Tracy. She is just an amazing researcher who's covered just the whole gamut of the world of esoterica, from the Priory of Scion to the financial market, the Federal Reserve, and CIA sex slaves. So, I mean, come on, that's just a breathtaking array of different topics and genres. And she can speak fluently on all of them to the point where you're just completely blown away by what she has to say. For this interview, we pretty much just threw the notes right out the window and kind of just riffed as the episode progressed, let the conversation take us wherever it led. Tracy's going to provide a look at her remarkable career as an author and researcher. Plus, we're going to find out about how other researchers have responded to her tremendous output of quality material in such a short period of time. She's going to give us her detailed and informed perspective on the present state of the economy, why she thinks things are looking particularly grim for the future, and what she sees as the best way to fix it. We're also going to talk about all sorts of different, unique, and weird little side subjects, moon-based calendars, her theory on how Earth's orbit may have been different in the past, the 9-11 truth movement, Tracy's run-in with Muslim extremists, her thoughts on the UFO phenomenon, and tons and tons more. As I said, it is a classic BOA Audio-style jam session. We just tear up the notes and let it fly with Tracy Twyman. Just an amazing interview. I was completely blown away by Tracy and her perspective on all these different areas of esoterica, and I think you will be too. That's next week, Admin All of America, Tracy Twyman, financial and esoteric jam session on BOA Audio. And in the weeks ahead here, we've got Eight more episodes. Tracy Twyman will 
cancel one of those out, so we'll have seven more episodes after that. And as I teased, we're going to have one more international guest, I know for a fact. We're going to have an amazing guest coming up. I can't say too much about it right now, but it is an absolutely huge guest. It is a monstrous interview. It will probably be another BOA Audio mini-series. I mean, this is how big this guest is going to be. I can't talk too much more about that. I've already taped a portion of this marathon interview, but it is going to be huge. That's going to be coming up soon. We're going to also see the return of a couple of old friends from BOA Audio. They'll be back here as Season 4 wraps up. I don't want to talk about any of those either because these are all on the drawing board. The interviews are scheduled to be taped in the next week. I am up to my elbows in reading material, research material, and preparation stuff for just a ton of interviews that I'm going to be rolling through over the course of about five days. I'm probably going to end up taping about seven or eight hours of material here. So hopefully we'll be able to give you a little more information on future guests uh, in about a week or so. So stop by BOA to find out more about that. But trust me, the offerings here as we close out Season 4 are going to be awesome. I took a little bit of a different tact this time around as I knew the slots for the rest of Season 4 were running out. I was very deliberate about my choices here for guests and wanted to get the most bang for the buck for the BOA Audio listeners as we fill each of those precious final slots here in Season 4. And on that note, we wrap it up. I've practically lost my voice here talking for this long. Jeff, this is why I don't do a solo episode. I'm dying here. I want to thank everybody who is enjoying the program. Hopefully you've re-found us and the break didn't put you off too much. Uh, I'm hoping that we'll get a lot of buzz on this week's interview and that'll let a lot of people know that BOA Audio is back for the final nine episodes of Season 4. I can't thank the great BOA Audio listeners enough. Our downloads were still huge all through the month we were gone, and the feedback from people was still plentiful and amazing, so I was just blown away by that. And the really cool interactive aspect of this audience, you guys are the best. I wouldn't be doing this if it weren't for you guys. I would have wrapped things up a long time ago, but the BOA Audio listeners keep me going week in and week out, and I can't thank you all enough for that. Until next week with Tracy Twyman and the Financial Slash Esoteric Jam Session, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening and signing off.